Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter number 3, and let's get into this study tonight. I will tell you, if you've ever dealt with somebody in this matter of sin, understand that the book of Romans is a place oftentimes you spend quite a bit of time. There's been, it's been said over the years, they call it the Romans Road, and uh, it's kind of funny, early on in my life as a Christian, um, I, I guess people kind of led me to believe or maybe try to get me to believe that the only way that you could go to heaven is to believe what the book of Romans says, and certainly there's much in the book of Romans, but there's all kinds of other scripture verses throughout the Bible. Uh, there, many times I've talked to people about the Lord and about their need of salvation, and and I might have used a verse or two from the book of Romans, but uh, some people almost act like it's a sin if you go outside of the book of Romans to try to witness to somebody. But there's certainly a lot of help as we try to help people that are still in sin, that have never trusted Christ as their Savior. And uh, when we started our study here, we got into Paul's introduction. Is This is, to us, it's a book in our Bible, but it's, it's uh, really a letter that God had Paul pen the words, uh, God's words, to those that were at Rome. And we, we looked early on in the book about, uh, really, we came to the conclusion in chapter 3 that all the world is guilty before God. And that's the conclusion that we came to. And as you, as you think about that, the, the passage before us tonight, as we continue our study, having found that all are guilty, this, this trial, so to speak, it continues as we get to the end of chapter number three because mankind is not only helpless in his condition, but mankind is also hopeless on his own. There's nothing that mankind can do. If man is going to be saved, God must save him. That's the only way that a person can be saved. Romans 3.20, and if you look there in your, in your Bibles tonight or in your outline, I mentioned last time we were together, this is where we ended, that Romans 3.20 is kind of like a mountain peak statement. And I want you to look at this verse where the Bible says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So God's word helps us to understand we're sinners. In other words, there's other places. One place in the Bible it says this, that it likens the Word of God to a mirror. And when we look into the mirror of God's Word, we see the imperfections. We see the sin in our lives. And listen, there is nothing that you and I can do. Uh, there's no deeds. There's no works. Uh, we can't merit our way to heaven. And the Bible says that by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified or saved in his sight. Everybody with me tonight? So R Romans 3.20 is that it's that mountain peak statement that exposes the purpose and also the power of the law. But as the, if I could call the individual, the defense attorney, after having said everything now in the beginning of Romans chapter number three about all are guilty before God, the defense attorney now takes the floor and what he does, as you many, see many times in court cases, is he makes a brief statement. Now that brief statement that he makes takes up the remainder of this chapter. It's not many verses, but yet it takes up the remainder of this chapter. And though, although it's brief, the verses really set forth what we call the work of God in salvation. 
You see, without God, there is no salvation. And so what the end of chapter 3 gives us is God's working. And I love, look at verse number 21, because we just looked at that by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified or saved. But what's the first two words in verse 21? But now. See, everything changes. I love those words. If you're in the habit of underlining or highlighting things in your Bible, you ought to to underline or highlight those two words, but now. And even though the future, even though what we've already looked at in Romans 3 up to verse 20 20 and 21, everything looks bleak. It, It looks very bad for mankind. But those two words, but now, you know what they give us? They give us hope. They give us what God would have for us. And so if you're able to tonight, let's stand for the reading of God's word there in Romans chapter 3, and we'll read from verse 20 down to the end of the chapter, beginning in verse 20, and you read along. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth, talking about Jesus, to be the propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness that he, God, might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by what? By faith, without the deeds of the law. Folks, it doesn't get any plainer than what the Bible says there. That the Bible says that the conclusion by God is man is justified by faith, without the deeds of the law. Now notice the end of this chapter. Is he, talking about God, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles or the God of the Gentiles? And the answer is yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God. Everybody see that? God doesn't favor a particular group of people a certain ethnical group. The Bible says that he is God, he is one God, which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. Now, can you say a mouthful? Because that's exactly what these verses are. And tonight's message is not necessarily going to be a a normal preaching time. It's honestly going to be more of a teaching time. 
Uh, this is a chapter, these verses, we've got to get a hold of the great truth here so that it will help us to be able to help others. And I want you to look back at one verse, verse 24. Here's what it says. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And I've entitled tonight's message, Salvation is Being Justified Freely. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening, for the Word of God. Pray that you'd bless our time around this passage. And Lord, may we understand, may your Holy Spirit help us and open our eyes and open our hearts to what this passage deals with. And Lord, may it help us to be able to help others. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Now, when you get to this passage, as the judge has patiently listened to all the pleas, and that would be the heathen, the hypocrite, and the Hebrews, all of them. In other words, that's all of mankind. He's listened to each one of them make their case. The judge has patiently listened, and he has no recourse because they're all guilty to invoke what is known as the death penalty. Because of our guilt, that's what we deserve. You know we deserve nothing, nothing other than what the Bible calls hell. That's what we deserve as sinners. And so the judge has no recourse, but the, the great thing is before that sentence is carried out, one of the most unbelievable things takes place. As I look at this passage and I study the Word of God, if I could put it into these words, that this same judge that the Bible is describing here in Romans 3, that has passed sentence against all of mankind, that all are guilty, the same judge now closes his casebook. Then he lays down his gavel. He stands from his seat. As he rises to his feet, he takes off his judicial robe. And without saying one other word, this judge, he himself, goes out and he dies for these three. He goes out and dies for all of mankind. And that is what the Bible describes as justification. Uh, when you think about this matter of justification, somebody said, it's just as if I never sinned. It's just as if I never would sin. A great definition of justification I gave you there in your notes is it's the judicial act of God by which he, God, pardons all the sins of those who believe in Christ. That's what justification is. It's God taking account, God accepting and treating sinners as righteous in the eyes of the law. Now, we all know that there, our righteousness is as filthy rags, the Bible says. But that's why it's called justification. Justification declares that all the claims of the law have been satisfied. Now, think about that. All the claims against us have been satisfied. The law in this instance, and a lot of times people say, well, there you go. God's just winking at sin, which the Bible mentions that. Folks, when you look at this, the law is not relaxed here. The law has not been set aside. It's quite the opposite. It is declared to be fulfilled. Now, think about that as we go a little further in this study tonight, because the person that is justified 
is one that has been declared to be entitled to all the advantages and all the rewards that come from perfect obedience to the law. And so as we get into this tonight, I want you to see some things about this matter of our salvation or our righteousness. And notice, first of all, that man, all of us, man is righteous apart from the law. He is righteous apart from the law. We're going to go right by verse by verse. So look in your Bible there in your notes. Look at verse 21. The Bible says this again. But now the righteousness of God, notice these words, without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The law could witness to God's righteousness, but the law could not provide it for sinful man. Only Jesus could do that. Only Jesus could provide for us. Look at Galatians 2.21, and Paul writes there, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. In other words, if we could do something to save ourselves, Jesus would have never had to die on the cross, is what the Bible is saying there. But we all know that there is no way that a person on their own, by their deeds, could go to heaven, could spend eternity with the Lord by themselves, and so Jesus had to die for our sins. That was the only way. That's why Jesus was willing to go to Calvary. Aren't you glad for the cross? So as I think about this, man is righteous apart from the law. But notice, secondly, man is righteous through faith in Christ. He is righteous through faith in Christ. Look at verse 22. The Bible says in the beginning of this verse, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. So, in other words, the Bible is telling us here that faith, as we call it, putting our trust, our belief, the fact is, is that faith is only as good as its object. I love the word there, the, the actual word that God used when he gave us the, the word of God is the word pistuo. The word means to believe. And I love the fact that every time you see this matter of salvation, there are, there's a preposition that goes with this verb, pastuo, and the preposition is the preposition ace. And the preposition ace, can, it has various meanings depending on which uh, type of word it's with, but when it's coupled together with this verb, which is pastuo, it actually means to believe into or to believe on. In other words, we're believing on, we're putting our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And our faith is only as good as its object. Well, listen, my faith tonight is not in myself, it's not in my church, it's not what I can do to get to heaven. My faith is in Jesus Christ. On this solid rock I stand. No other ground, because all other ground is sinking sand. And so as we think about this tonight, Paul writing says that man is righteous apart from the law. Secondly, he is righteous through faith in Christ. Thirdly, he mentions here in verse 22 and verse 23 that righteousness is for all men. Now, I'm sorry, Mr. Calvinist, because there, there is so much prevalent teaching in our day that teaches that only certain people, only the select, only the elect can be saved. Listen, that's not what my Bible teaches me. 
That's not what God's word has to say. Because right here in Romans 3, the Bible teaches us that righteousness is for all men. Look at verse 22 again. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Now look at the words. Unto what? All. And upon what? All them that believe. For there is no difference for what? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So when I look at this, righteousness, God gave, yes, you can, look, you cannot deny the fact that God, when he gave the law, he gave it to the Jews, to the Hebrew people, right? God in the Old Testament gave the law unto the, the nation of Israel, and he did not give it to the Gentiles. That is a true fact. But can I tell you that the good news of salvation, faith in Christ is offered to all men. Aren't you glad for that tonight? Because if that was not true, you and I would not be saved. But salvation, the righteousness of God, is for all men. Notice then, fourthly, that he mentions in verse 24 that righteousness is by grace. I can put it this way, it's all of grace. When I think about this, look at verse 24. He says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to write down these couple words, and these are easy, but I, I want you to get a hold of these two statements. The first one is this, God in his mercy does not give us what we do deserve. Let me say that again. God in his mercy does not give us what we do deserve. Everybody understand mercy? But watch this other statement. But God in his grace gives us what we do not deserve. See, there's a difference. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve, but grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. And I love the thought here because when you look at verse 24, he says, being justified, look at the word, freely. Now that word is a great word. It's translated this way, without a cause. He said, now, what does that mean? Well, it literally means this, that we are justified without a cause. There's no cause in us that would merit the salvation of God. There's nothing good about us. There's nothing. It doesn't matter who your daddy or your granddaddy was. It doesn't matter what church you went to. It doesn't matter what, what other religions you've been a part of. It doesn't matter how much you put in the offering plate. It's all of grace. And that's what he's teaching here. He says again, he says, being justified freely by his grace. Now, the other word that he uses in verse 24 is this, through the redemption. Now, we just sang about that. But notice it's the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, the word redemption is a great word also. Years ago, I studied this, and, and oftentimes you hear there's actually a couple different verbs that carry this idea of being redeemed in the Bible. This particular word here, and I've heard it said many times, redeem means to buy back. Because we, we were sold into sin. We, we are sinners by nature. Look, all men are created in the image of God. We are God's creation, right? But as you think about this, because of sin, our sins have separated us from God. And it's because of that sin that that fellowship with God has been broken. But listen, God loved us so much that he extended his grace toward us. And what did he do? Through Jesus Christ, he redeemed us. 
Now this word, here it is. The full meaning of this word is that it's just like going to a slave market and not only buying back that slave, but here's the best part. Buying back that slave and then setting that slave free. Do you get it? Because that's what God did for us. People say, well, I don't know if I want to be a Christian because I can't do what I want to do. You're missing it. We have liberty in Christ. I'm not missing anything. Look, if, if I'm missing something, the only, re- only thing that I'm missing out on is the things of this world. But I, when I look at this, righteousness is by God's grace. And this is what the righteousness of Christ has done for us. Look, the Lord bought us back. He redeemed us and then he set us free. I hope you realize what you have in the Lord Jesus tonight. Because look at it again in verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Brother Robert was telling me this morning, he said, he went, he went out with us yesterday. We had about nine or ten men that went. And Brother Robert said, he said, he, he, you know, he has, a, he, like Paul in the Bible, he has a real burden for Jewish people to be saved. And I appreciate Robert witnesses to, to many people, you don't, not just Jewish folks. And he said, uh, what, what's the little thing that, that hangs outside the door? Yeah. And, and he said there was one hanging on the door. And he said they answered the door and he tried to tell them and he was wearing one of our, our uh, polos that has the church name on it. And the lady said to him, she says, oh no, she says, I'm Jewish. I don't want to talk to you. And Robert said, he goes, he goes, it just, he goes, I was so bothered because I knew that I had in my hand and in my heart what she needed to set her free. Folks, that's the way we need to be. Now, again, we can't make somebody trust Christ as their Savior. But you and I who have been set free, it's been by the grace of God, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul says here. He says righteousness is by grace. But notice number five, and this is, this is something that I just, even after being saved 35 years, every time I think about this, righteousness came at a great cost to God. Look at verse 24 again. He says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God, this is talking about Jesus, hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. In other words, you look at those verses, and here's what I see is that this world, mankind, as corrupt as we are, doomed because of our sin, naked sinners that we are, because of what God did through His Son, Jesus, mankind now may be cleansed and delivered from His sin and clothed in the very righteousness of Jesus Christ Himself. As you look at the Bible, and of course, we have what we call an Old Testament and a New Testament to our Bible. When you get to the end of the Old Testament, now remember, Jesus came and that time period was, was, as we look at our Bible, was into what we call the gospel records. Two of the records in in our New Testament give give record of the birth of Christ. See, in the Old Testament, there was still something that was... Uh, remained unsolved. When the Old Testament came to a close, 
that this, this, this problem, if you want to call it that, still remained unsolved, and it re- revolved around two words that are in this passage tonight, and those two words are these words, remission and the word forbearance. Now, these are both great Bible words. So we've got to understand, and let me, let me help you tonight as the way God has helped me understand what these two words are. Now, just like I mentioned a minute ago, the understanding of mercy and grace. Look at these two words. The first one is remission. And when you look at the word remission, it literally means the act of letting something pass by. To let something pass by. That's what to remit or remission is. Now, when it makes a statement about the remission, it's, it, it's, it's making reference in this case to the sins of the Old Testament. Because look at it again. It, he says here in verse 25, in the end of the verse, for the remission of sins that are what? That are past. So he's making a reference to the sins of the Old Testament saints. Let me ask you this. Was Jesus crucified in the Old Testament? No. So listen, if Jesus died in the New Testament era, then what about all the people that lived before he died? So the Bible says here that righteousness came at a great cost to God, but this matter of remission is what he mentions here. He says to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. He's talking about the act of letting something pass by, the sins of the Old Testament saints. Now look at the other word, is the word forbearance. Look back at the verse, at the end of verse 25. He says uh, that he would declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. Well, notice this last phrase, through, he did that, through the forbearance of God. Now the word forbearance, this is also a great word because it refers to the act of holding back something. So the one is actually letting something pass by, referring to the Old Testament saints' sins, but forbearance refers to the wrath of God upon those sins. In other words, the act of God holding back His wrath. By the way, aren't you glad that right now in this present day, God is holding back His wrath on us as mankind? Because the, you read the book of Revelation, there's going to come a day where the wrath of God is going to be poured out upon this earth. But for right now, God is holding back. And that's what he's describing here when he talks about the sins of the Old Testament saints and the wrath of God being held back from those sins. Everybody with me tonight? Let me give you a couple of examples. Look at Psalm 50. Follow these verses. Look at verse 17. Seeing thou hatest instruction, God says to them, and casteth my words behind thee, which honestly describes even the world today, not just the nation of Israel. He says, when thou sawest a thief, then thou consentest with him and hast been partaker with adulterers. Thou givest thy mouth to evil and thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother, thou slanderest thine own mother's son. These things hast thou done, and notice what God says, I have kept what? God says, I haven't said a word. Now look at the rest of it. Thou thoughtest 
that I was altogether such as one as thyself, but I will reprove thee. You don't mess with God. He says, you think that I was okay with the way you treated me and the way you treated those around you, that I'm going to let you just do whatever you want to do in your sin. But God says, I will reprove thee and set thee in order before thine eyes. Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. See, earlier I told you, man is helpless and man is hopeless without God. Look what the Bible says in Acts 17, New Testament. Look at these words. And the times of this ignorance. Can I tell you, the ignorance isn't on God's part. It's on man's part. And the Bible says, the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now he commandeth all men everywhere to do what? To repent. God says, look, it's time for you to get right with me. Now, when you look at that, this passage here in these verses dealing with this matter of remission of sins that are past and forbearance of God, the problem is simple, but it's, it is a little bit complex. And here it is. How could God possibly reconcile His holiness, because God is a holy God, how could He bring together His holiness and His righteousness to His mercy and grace? Because God has given us and extended to us his mercy. God has extended unto us his grace. But think about this. God is also a holy God and God is a righteous God. So how can God do that? And the difficulty in that, how can he resolve that, is resolved gloriously in the person of Jesus Christ. That's how God is able to do this. Notice the Bible says Jesus was set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Are you getting this tonight? Here's a great verse that, that sums up everything I just said. Watch this. Look at Psalm 85:10. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. See, the word propitiation, you know what it means? Simply means this, satisfaction. What Jesus did was he satisfied the just demands of a holy God. And as we think about propitiation, the word here is making, again, a reference to something in the Old Testament. And here's what it's referring to. It's referred to something as what we know is called the mercy seat of God. It was in the Old Testament temple. This mercy seat that was on the ark of God, it was upon this golden seat that if you, you know as you study the word of God, that the priest would go in and he would go in with the blood of animals and he would sprinkle the blood of a lamb and, and that blood, listen, as it was applied to the mercy seat of God, the bema seat, that it separated man and his sin from God. And that's, that was the whole purpose behind this. But think about Jesus' role, because we all know that it was imperative that Jesus would give his life. And notice 1 John chapter 2, it says, He, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. John went on to write, 
herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. There's nothing you and I could do to please a, a holy God, to meet his righteous demands. Only Jesus could have done that. Why? Because Jesus is God. And the Bible says in Hebrews 10, look at this, every priest standing daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which those sacrifices can never take away sins. But this man, <laughs> Jesus, after he offered how many sacrifices? One. See, it wasn't many times. Jesus didn't have to die over and over again. The Bible says that he offered one sacrifice for sins for how long? Forever. And he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, when you look at that tremendous passage there and tie that into Romans chapter number three, I know many times people ask this question, well, then why did Jesus have to die? And according to the word of God, he did it to preserve and to vindicate God's justice. That's why he died. In the Old Testament, as we just mentioned here, the blood of animals, it could never take away the sins. Listen, animal after animal after animal could never take away sin. It could, it, it could only cover it until the time when Jesus would come and Jesus would have purchased what is known as a finished salvation. Remember one of his seven sayings on the cross? It is what? Finished. Nothing has to be added to it. We don't need to take anything away from it. It is perfect salvation. It is complete salvation. And Jesus did that when he died. And so when you look at these words here, what did God do? God had passed over the sins of the Old Testament saints. But listen, when he passed over those sins, because he is God, he knew that there would come a day that his son would come to this earth and he would give his life and Jesus would then finish the work of salvation. And so saying it plainly and clearly tonight, here it is. Salvation is free, but salvation is not cheap. It costs God his own dear son. A great illustration, I heard this years ago and I came across it again. Uh, there was a, a great preacher of days gone by, Dr. G. Campbell Morgan. And he was talking to a guy about this very thought. And a lot of people struggle with this matter of, folks, listen, every, every religion today either believes in a done religion or a do religion. I have a little book in my office. If you want a copy of it and, and you'll read it or you'll give it to somebody that's struggling, I'll give you a copy of it. The book's just entitled Done. It's based on that verse that I just shared with you where Jesus said, it is finished. Because if you look at churches today and religions today, the vast majority of them, here's what they teach. You have to do this. You have to pray the rosary. You have to go to confession. You have to have last rites. You have to do this. You have to do this. On and on and on. What are they basing salvation on? Can you tell me in one word? Works. Works. See, Jesus said it's finished. So if we believe the Bible, we believe that salvation is done. There's nothing else that we have to do. And, and listen, many times I talk to people and they'll say, well, that just seems too simple. And that brings me to this illustration because G. Campbell Morgan said, 
he was talking to this man, and he was kind of a simple man as, as far as his way of life and what he did for a living. He was a coal miner. And he was talking to this man. He was trying to explain free salvation. Because that's what it is. We don't have to do anything. Jesus paid it all. And he's talking to this man, and the man was not really getting it. He was having a hard time understanding it. And so he kept arguing with G. Campbell Morgan, and he says, I have to pay for it. I have to pay for it. And Dr. Morgan asked him, he says, can I ask you a question? How did you get down into the mine this morning? In other words, how did you get to work? And he replied, well, that was easy. He said, I just got on the elevator and went down. And then Morgan asked him, he says, wasn't that too easy? Didn't it cost you something? And the man laughed and he said, no, it didn't cost me anything, but it must have cost the company plenty of money to install that elevator to go down to the mine. And see, all of a sudden, that miner, he's looking as he said those words. It must have cost the company a lot of money to, to build that elevator to go down to the mine. All of a sudden, it's like the light bulb went on. And the, the miner said that he saw the truth, that it doesn't cost us anything to be saved, but it cost God the life of his son. And there's a lot of people that still struggle with that. They think they have to do this or attend this church. But can I tell you, Jesus has taken care of that. And the righteousness that we, we understand from Romans 3, it came at a great cost to God. Notice next in our outline tonight, God's righteousness is a perfect justice. Perfect justice. Look here, is this world God's? Is everything in this world God's? Is all of mankind God's? Are the riches of this world God's? Is there anything that's not God's? No. So listen, God has every right to do as he pleases because it's all his. And when you think about that and you come to verse 26, look what it says here. To declare, I say, at this time, whose righteousness? His. That he... God might be just and the justifier of him, notice this word, which does what? Believeth in who? Jesus. Now, when I study the word of God, here's what I find is because of who God is, God cannot break his own law. He cannot violate his own nature. I get tickled sometimes. You get these skeptics and doubters and uh, they'll go to a place, and they'll, they'll go to the, the marriage supper at Canaan. And they'll say, look, Jesus was at that wedding, and, and he told them to fill those things up, and there was wine in there. And so Jesus said, hey, it's okay to social drink, have a little drink here and there. There's nothing wrong with it. Jesus did it. But if you study that passage, listen, I could explain that passage with biblical understanding and biblical principles, but I'll just tell you this. Even if I couldn't explain that, for Jesus to have made that water real intoxicating alcoholic beverage would violate his own nature. God is never going to contradict his own word. Do you get that? But see, a lot of times people, what they want to do is, it's not about God, it's about them justifying the life that they want to live. And so as I look at this verse tonight, verse 26, 
the Bible says that at this time he's declaring his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. So a God of love, and that's what he is. You know what God, because he's a God of love, you know what he wants to do? God, because of his love, he wants to forgive sinners. But also because of who he is, he's a holy God. God has to because of his nature, his holiness. God must punish sin and uphold his righteous law. God has to do that because that's who he is. It would go against the very nature of God if he did not punish the sin. Now the question is this, when you read verse 26, the Bible says that he might be, the, be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. The, the question is, how can God be both the just and the justifier? How can he be both of those? And the answer, here it is again, it's in Jesus. That's how God can be just and the justifier because when Jesus suffered the wrath of God, remember Jesus said, let this cup pass from me. What did that cup represent? The sin of all the world, your sins and mine. Jesus said, listen, if it be possible, he knew because he was God, there was no way he would have to take our sins on him. And he did that because he loved us. But he knew that our sin had to be dealt with, that it had to be nailed to the cross. And so Jesus bore our sins. He suffered the wrath of God on the cross for the sins of the world. Well, by doing that, what did he do? He fully, he fully met the demands of God's law. He also fully expressed the love of God in the heart of God. Remember, what, how about this verse? For God so loved the world. Well, how did God show that? By allowing his son to die on the cross. You see, God's righteousness, it's perfect justice. In Jesus, what did God do? God reached all the way back to Adam, to the first man. And when God did that, he took care of all those sins that were in the past. And by the way, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for sins that were past, sins that are present, and sins that were future. And if Jesus wouldn't have not, if he would have not died for the sins that were future, none of us would be saved today. That's why the blood of Jesus Christ is efficacy. In other words, it still cleanses us from our sins. If we didn't believe that, folks, we might as well close up shop, lock the doors, and sell the building. But I believe God is still in the saving business. And I believe people can still come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God's righteousness is in perfect justice. But notice the last one tonight. God's righteousness, God's righteousness, not ours, it actually establishes the law. Now again, when we make reference to the law, what are we talking about? The Word of God. And, and understand again tonight the importance of the Word of God. And notice four things that we see here. Look at verse number 27, what the Bible says in verse 27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that Man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only, or is he also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish it. We establish 
the law. Now notice a couple things we see in this passage tonight. First of all, we see the scope of righteousness. Now again in verse 22, he says that it is unto all. Look at it again. He says the righteousness of God is by faith of Jesus Christ. Notice unto all. So when you see the scope of righteousness, what he's saying here is that you and I, we have a righteousness which is unlimited. Notice it's unto all. Everyone can be saved. That's the scope. It is unlimited in its scope. But notice, secondly, the bestowal of righteousness in verse 22, because here's what he says. It is unto all and upon all them that believe. Now notice here, the bestowal of righteousness is upon all them that believe. That righteousness that the Bible is describing here, it is limited in its bestowal because it's limited only to those who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, by the way, God is not willing that any would perish. So we see the scope of it that it's unlimited in this righteousness, but it is limited in its bestowal because it's upon all that believe. Notice thirdly, when we think about the righteousness of God, that we see the need of righteousness. And look at verse 23. This is a verse we use all the time. And let's read this verse together. For all have sinned and come Everybody. I talked to a guy, he was in his garage when I pulled up and uh, he was doing something and, and all the times when I come walking up, people are doing uh, this particular thing he was doing. He, he, uh, I began to talk to him about the church and about the Lord and, and uh, what he was doing. He, he kind of quickly took care of it and uh, acted like, you know, I don't know if he thought maybe I was a priest or something. He, and, uh, and so he, he did away with what he was doing. And I started to talk to him, and I said, I said, can I ask you a question? I said, have you ever thought about eternity, where you spend eternity? And he said, well, I've given a little bit of thought. I said, where do you think you spend eternity? He says, with my son. I've, I've never heard that one. He said, with my son. And I said, well, where do you think that would be? And he said, in heaven. And I said, what do you base that on? And he said, well, I'm a good person. He didn't mince words. He said, I'm a good person. And I said, so have you ever done anything wrong? And he goes, no. And I said, uh, so have you ever gotten angry with someone? He goes, no. I said, have you ever lied? And he goes, no. And then I looked at him and he cracked a smile. And I said, you just did right there, didn't you? And he goes, yep. And so he began to understand. Now, he, 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 he cut me off right there. Well, I need, I need to, people don't want to talk about it. They, want, they don't want to address their sin, their unrighteousness. And when we look at this, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The need of righteousness is that every one of us, there's such a great need, but notice that there is no one that is excluded. All have sinned. That's the need of righteousness. But notice, we also see the requirement of righteousness. Look at this in verse 28. Go back to verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Now, verse 30 adds something to this. Look at verse 30. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. In other words, when you, when you think about what God is doing 
in hearts and lives. And what God is trying to get across to not only us, but to others, is I see that God is always working with his people on the principle of faith, that it's faith, it's by faith that a person is saved, not by works. God is always trying to get us to see that. See, the devil is trying to, trying to snatch the seed, trying to take our attention away from the fact that the only way that you can be saved is through Christ and Christ alone. And so when we think about God's righteousness, it establishes the law. Now, when, when you get to the end of the chapter, verse 29 and 30, the Apostle Paul, here's the thought, is Paul really saying here that God is the God of the Jew only? Is that what he's saying? No, he's not. Is God, he says, not also the God of the Gentiles? And the answer to that is yes. He's the God of the Jew, and he's the God of the Gentile. By the way, the word Gentile refers to anyone that's not a Jew. It's everyone. It brings everybody into view. Notice again what the Bible says, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Now, listen, stay with me for just a couple minutes and we'll be done tonight. I want you to get the end of this. Okay, this is the conclusion that God brings us to. He, he says here, is he the God of the Jews only? As he must be, because, listen, if justification is by the law, and we know that, again, it's not, notice it was only the Jews that God gave the law to, right? But listen, then he says, is he the God of the Gentiles also? Well, sure, he is the God of the Gentiles too, since he is, he is one God, as the Bible mentions here. He is, he is God to the Jew and to the Gentile. Notice that in his being, he is alike unto all nations. So God will justify, notice here, the circumcision. Who does that represent? Jews. He will circumcise Jewish believers. And how will he do that? The Bible mentions here, out of simple faith. Look at the verse again. Seeing it is, verse 30, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision, the Jews, by faith. That's how they get saved, by faith. But then notice he moves on. Is he also going to justify the uncircumcision? That would be the Gentiles. Now remember, the Gentiles were kept afar off. They didn't have the privileges that the Jews did. They didn't have the Word of God. They didn't have access to the Word of God that, that the Jews did. And so notice the statement here in verse 30. He's going to justify the circumcision, the Jew, by faith. But notice the uncircumcision through faith. See the different words there. So in other words, these were people, the Gentiles were those that had no law given to them and that it was, listen, to them it was to base their faith upon. So when Paul deals with this question, in other words, all those who would abuse grace, and there's a lot of people today that are doing that, those that would abuse grace or the law, they, they're going to ask this question sooner or later, and I kind of phrased it as close as I could. Does our lifestyle, the life of, of grace that we're living, does it, does it annul or make void the law? That's what he says here in verse 31. Do, do we then make void the law through faith? And Paul's response to that is, he, God forbid. In other words, no. He says we are establishing the law through our faith. Now, how is that possible? Because remember what the law calls for. The law calls for death. That's what we deserve, the execution of that penalty. So if the law 
was to be enforced, then the penalty must be paid for. Are you with me tonight? Look, you find somebody that goes to court and they're found guilty, they either uh, serve time or if it's bad enough, they, they have the death penalty invoked upon them. And that's what the Bible's saying here, that, that the law calls for the execution of that penalty that comes along with that crime. So if the law is enforced, then the penalty must be paid for. Now, but listen, folks, that's where the cross comes in. That's where Calvary comes in. Thank God for the cross because it was on the cross that the penalty of our sins was executed. You see, again, God placed our sin upon him. The death sentence was passed, and the sin is not only covered, that's what happened in the Old Testament, they, they applied the blood to the mercy seat. The sin is not only covered, but it is also taken away. And this is a great principle. You see this back in the Old Testament also. Look at what it says in Leviticus 16, 21. And this is pictured in what oftentimes is referred to as the scapegoat. Look at this verse. Aaron shall lay both hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities, all the sins of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. You say, what is that, what is that referring to? Well, you go forward many years, and you get to where the prophet Isaiah lived. And Isaiah wrote it this way in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity, the sins of the whole world. Isaiah had it right. When I look at this passage in Romans chapter 3, at the end of it, the conclusion of it, here's what I find is, is that God has a plan of salvation for sinners. God's always had a plan. And his plan includes everyone. Even the apostle Paul, who was the chiefest, of sinners. And so as I look at salvation, it is free. It's based on God's plan. And that plan, when we look at the Word of God, has been revealed to us in God's plan. It's righteous because it's God's plan and it's reasonable. You see, we all deserve death. But because of what Jesus did for us, all of us that are guilty can all have eternal life, but that eternal life comes through Jesus Christ. What a great passage tonight. Salvation is being justified freely by His grace. Would you bow your heads with me tonight as we think about this passage? And I wonder tonight if you would just think about these words. About what God has shown to us in Romans chapter number 3. Well, I think about even what the Bible describes in Romans 1. And how man has turned away from God. We're living in a world like that today. And we see because of God's mercy and God's grace, the remission of our sins and the forbearance of God, that Jesus Christ became the propitiation for our sins. And here's what the Bible says, not for our sins only but for all them also. That means that there are still people that can be 
saved. And I wonder tonight if there's someone that may be on your heart. Someone that you could pray for tonight. You might be here this evening and you've never had a time in your life where you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Right here tonight where you sit, you could say a simple prayer to the Lord. Something like this, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge the sin in my life. And I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and be my Savior. If you're not saved tonight, would you pray that prayer? Would you ask the Lord? Remember, it came at a great cost to God, but He was willing. God gave His only begotten Son. The rest of us, we're Christians because we have been saved. How long has it been? since the day of your salvation. A couple years, five, 10, maybe for some of you, 20, 30, maybe longer. When's the last time you thanked the Lord for your salvation? We are rich tonight because of the righteousness of God's own son. If you're here tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed and you did not know Christ as your Savior, but you prayed that prayer, I wonder if you'd slip your hand up tonight acknowledging, I prayed and asked the Lord to be my Savior based on the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Anyone prayed that prayer, slip your hand up and you can put it right back down. Pastor, I prayed that prayer and I asked Jesus to be my Savior. How many of you tonight by an upraised hand would say, I'm so thankful for what Jesus did because without him, I would be bound to a devil's hell. Would you slip your hand up tonight? Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the truth of the word of God. Thank you for the righteousness that comes by your son, Jesus. Lord, I just thank you so much for saving us as sinful, wretched people, loving us while we were yet in our sins. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to realize what you have done for us, what you have given to us. May we never doubt our salvation because Jesus died once for sin forever. Thank you again and help us every day to walk and live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you